Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you love to speak to us, your people. And so we ask that you would do just that this morning. Lord, help us to receive whatever it is that you want to say to us today, we pray. Help us to be open and expectant. Amen. Okay, well, I'd like to start off this morning by telling you about a couple of predictions that have been made throughout history. So here we go. First one, in 1885, Albert Einstein's teacher told his dad, it doesn't matter what he does, he'll never amount to anything. That's true. Margaret Thatcher predicted that there would never be a female prime minister in her lifetime. And final one, Time magazine predicted um, Bill Clinton would not be re-elected as president because no left-handed president had ever been re-elected. Those are all actual predictions that were made. So it's safe to say there have been some pretty rubbish predictions um, made throughout history. Having said that, um, there have also been some utterly mind-blowing, miraculous, astonishing predictions um, made throughout the course of history, including the prediction or the prophecy that we heard in our Micah passage this morning. So I want to start off this morning by adding a little bit of context to that Micah passage. So this guy called Micah, I'm sure lots of you will know, um, was a prophet, and the role of a prophet was to speak truth on behalf of God to the people. So when things were going wrong and people were kind of straying away from God, prophets were there to point them in the right direction. Or to declare that there would be some serious consequences if they continued to go their own way. God gave prophets like Micah the ability to see things that were going to happen in the future. Now, it's important to know this morning that Micah was prophesying between 750 and 686 years BC, before Christ. So all of those things that we just heard spoken in Micah 5, verses 2 to 4, were spoken around 700 years before Jesus was actually on the planet. Now, to kind of like give us a bit of an idea of that, imagine that in the year 1421, so that's 700 years ago from today, imagine that someone back then made a prediction that a man born in the Upper East Side of New York would come to lead our nation. And Boris Johnson was born there, by the way. Like, can you imagine if that had happened? We would be like, that is mind-blowing that someone has actually predicted that, and then it actually came to be. And that is a really simplified version of the type of prediction um, that we see through Micah. And Micah, he lived in a really tough period of time because things are not looking good in Israel and Judah where he's prophesying. Their capital cities are supposed to be great. They're supposed to be centers of holiness and faithfulness, but they've completely lost their way. Um, they're following false gods and evil practices. They've lost their morals and all of this basically ends up in oppression, injustice, and dishonesty to the very core of their society. So actually, Micah, as a prophet, has a really difficult job because he has to communicate to the people that unless they return to God, entire towns are going to be taken away into captivity. However, there is a glimmer of hope because Micah also gets to prophesy a message that a better day is coming. 
<clears throat> he looks forward to this ideal society where God's law will be obeyed. And he prophesies about a world where people from all nations will come together to worship. And it's inclusive. The outcasts, the lame, the grieving, they all find welcome there. There will be peace in the truest sense of the word, not only an absence of war, but wholeness and rest. And most of all, this kingdom will be ruled by a mighty king. And it's in the context of all of that that we then get, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who's ruler one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until, until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. And he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And for me, what I love about this and what's super exciting this morning is that Micah's prophecy of this sort of future ruler, this saviour that was going to come, begins to be fulfilled in our Luke reading. So if we think about that reading for a little bit, maybe just a little bit before, so Gabriel has already made his sort of earth-shattering, incredible, awesome announcement to Mary that she's going to be pregnant with Jesus. And she decides to take this journey to see Elizabeth. And then by the time she reaches Elizabeth's house, just a few days later, we know that she is in fact pregnant with Jesus. And we know this because something really amazing happens in this passage that I think I've skipped over like pretty much every time that I've read it. See, they didn't have mobile phones in those days, so she hadn't had the option to kind of call ahead and say, Elizabeth, is it all right if I come around and stay? She didn't call ahead and say, by the way, I've had a visit from an angel and I'm going to give birth to Jesus. She didn't have the option to do that. She just sort of arrived unannounced, as they would have done in those days. There was no announcement from an angel to Elizabeth to tell her that Mary was pregnant. And it was likely that Mary didn't look pregnant at all when she arrived because she traveled to see Elizabeth only a few days after Gabriel's announcement to her. Yet, on her arrival, Elizabeth knows Mary is pregnant. And not only that, she knows that she's pregnant with a special baby, with a divine baby. And Elizabeth has this prophetic moment. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, not normal at that time. She has this prophetic moment and she exclaims, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored <clears throat> that the mother of my Lord should visit me? And by using the words, my Lord, Elizabeth is acknowledging that this baby is not just any baby, but that he's deity, that he is, in fact, God himself. So we know from this moment that the prophecy of Micah is beginning to be fulfilled because Jesus is now physically present on the earth. He hasn't been born yet, but he is on the earth in human form from this moment. So I love the astonishing accuracy of Micah's prophecy. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as Micah prophesied. Mary and Joseph were required to go there for the census, and Mary gave birth there. Micah's prophecy mentions that this ruler will be one um, whose origins are of old, from ancient times. And essentially, this is claiming that this ruler, this future ruler or saviour that would be coming, wouldn't just be any ruler or saviour, but he would be God. 
Um, And we know that God the Son has been around since the very beginning of time, from of old, from ancient times. And of course, we believe that Jesus was God. We know that he rose, we believe that he rose from the dead, and there were many witnesses of that. We believe he performed many miraculous signs and wonders and transformed lives. And we know that he was born of a woman, as Micah says, because Mary gave birth to him. This is important. This prophecy of Micah's acknowledges that this future ruler would be fully God of old, of ancient times, and fully human, born of woman. And whilst it's amazing for me to think that someone prophesying hundreds of years before the events took place could be so accurate, it's even more amazing to think that this was not a one-off by any stretch of the imagination. There are literally hundreds of prophecies throughout the Old Testament about the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, many from hundreds of years before he was even on the planet, and some of them extremely specific. So hundreds of years before his arrival, it was prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he would come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, of Jacob, of David, that he would be called Emmanuel, that he would spend a season in Egypt, that a messenger would come to prepare the way for him, that he would be rejected, that he would be, be betrayed, that he would be called a Nazarene, that he would be called king. The list goes on and on. And what's even more astonishing is that every single one of these things was perfectly fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. So, what does all of that mean for us? Um, Well, I don't know if this might seem a strange route to take this morning, but I actually really felt like God prompted me to talk about doubt. Um, So as I was kind of praying about what to share, I was reminded of a time when someone who was a leader in our church stood up, this was a few years ago, and she shared that um, she sometimes had doubts in her faith. Now, that isn't something you hear from up here very often, I don't think. And if I'm honest, when I heard her say that, I kind of felt this sort of sense of relief, like, oh, okay, right, it's not just me. Phew, thank thank the Lord. (laughs) Um, And I remember her saying that when she has doubts, what always helps her is to think about the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And she thinks about the fact that there are hundreds of them, each prophesying some highly specific detail about the life of Jesus, and that each one of them was fulfilled, and that this gave her the confidence that God is real. After all, surely it would be the most ridiculous of coincidences if every single one of these things was actually fulfilled. And it also gave her the confidence that God will always make good on his promises. So I started to think a little bit more about doubt. It is normal for us to experience doubt. And I think that our doubts most commonly come in two forms. Firstly, we doubt God himself, whether he's real and what he's capable of. And secondly, we doubt that he could use us, like little old me. Why would he use me? Uh, And we doubt that we're capable of what he wants us to do. Sometimes we even unknowingly find ourselves um, accepting some untruths about ourselves. So here's one of mine. If I'm honest, deep down, I doubt that God can use me to bring my friends to faith. I don't know if you can relate to that. Um, For many of us, it may be that God's shown us something that he wants us to do with our life, but we doubt we can do it because we're so supremely aware of our weaknesses. 
Others of us find ourselves praying for change in situations and doubting whether we'll see it. And some of us simply doubt whether God is real. And I've experienced that before too. I remember a really specific time. I remember exactly where I was driving home from church and that, those thoughts coming to my mind like, what if none of this is real? Maybe you've experienced that too. So I think it's important to speak out that doubt is normal because we're human. But the good thing is there are a few things we can do to help. So firstly, be intentional about remembering God's faithfulness. So the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies show that God is faithful to his promises. Now, his promises sometimes take longer to fulfill than we would like as humans. We think we know what's right, but actually he does. Now, let's remember that Jesus arrived around 700 years after Micah prophesied about him. However, there are many, many promises which he left for us throughout history, and he has come good on them all. So it's important to remember that. And as I was preparing for this talk, I was, I was just saying, like, God, what do you want me to say? And he reminded me of a song, and it's called Do It Again. Maybe you know it. It's by Elevation Worship. And this song was inspired by a sermon that a pastor um, at their church preached, and the message, the sort of central message of the sermon was, His Promise Still Stands. And the title of the sermon was, Don't Stop on Six. And it was all about how the Israelites... Um, was so close to the promised land, this thing that God had promised to them. But in order to get there, they needed to conquer Jericho first. And God had told them that in order for this to happen, they needed to march around the walls of the city once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. And I was thinking about how they would have felt doing this. And it would have been so easy for them to give up on day six. Sermon's called Don't Stop on Six. It would have been so easy for them to give up on day six thinking, we're just not seeing anything happening here. We're not seeing any movement. And just letting doubt creep in at that point. Some of the lyrics of the song, the first verse is, walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. It's about being in those times of waiting for God to move, like asking him to move. But when we're waiting, doubt can creep in. But the song moves to this incredible bridge, and I've actually asked Grant if he would mind playing um, just a couple of lines from the bridge. Oh, Thomas is going to do it. Thanks, Thomas. All right, thank you. Yeah, so it says, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. And the whole concept of this song is when we have doubt or when we're in that difficult waiting season, let's purposefully remind ourselves, intentionally remind ourselves of what we've seen him do in the past because it reminds us that he can do it again. And he doesn't change If he did it in the past, he's going to continually keep um, fulfilling his promises to us, and he's going to keep moving in our lives. When we remember those times, it builds our faith. So what have you seen God do in your life in the past? When God moves, can you take a moment to write it down so that, that it's there to remind yourself when times of doubt creep in? If you don't think you've seen him move, how about doing a study um, of all the promises of God throughout history, and then when 
um, he fulfilled them. That is going to be enough to fill you with faith that he will continue to do the same. Okay, the second thing we can do is when we doubt what God can do through us, when you doubt what God can do through you, remind yourself of who he has used in the past. I want to remind you this morning that God fulfilled hundreds of years of prophecies and brought the saviour of the world onto planet Earth through teenager Mary. She was the God-bearer. And God brought John, the one who was going to prepare the way for Jesus, onto the planet through Elizabeth. And this, um, for me, is not a small deal, and I believe it was really intentional on the part of God. So they were both women in a culture where women were seen as completely inferior to men, the property of their husband. Yet God chose them. And I, I just felt it was right to pause on that for a moment this morning. God chose to use these women. God chose to use a woman, Mary, to change the face of history. He could have come to the planet however he wanted, but he chose to use this woman. And actually, this child um, that she gave birth to, Jesus, went on to live a life where he consistently broke with the tradition of his day in the way that he treated women. He treated men and women as equal. He appeared first to women after the resurrection, Women supported him financially. He taught women. So unusual, so unheard of. He addressed women in public. Again, highly unusual or unheard of. And Nicky Gumbel, who is um, the vicar at HTB in London, he said this, there is no instance in which Jesus disgraces, belittles, or stereotypes women. Through Mary, God gave dignity and honor to all women. This is great. The very fact that God came into this world, born of woman, was the beginning of the reversal of the curse of the fall and the restoration of the original creation blessing of equality and interdependence. So, they were both women, but God chose to use them. Mary was from Nazareth. Nazareth was unremarkable. No one boasted of coming from Nazareth, but God chose to use her. Elizabeth was old, but God chose to use her. Elizabeth was unable to conceive, seen as shameful in society, but God chose to use her. Age is no barrier for him. Gender is no barrier for him. Disappointment and shame, no barriers for him. Background is no barrier for him. Race is no barrier for him. I want you to know this this morning. God delights in upsetting human expectations in the best of ways. All throughout history, he's chosen to use those who are least significant. So if you feel like God can't use you this morning, how about a little reminder today of all of those he's chosen to use before you throughout history, the least significant ones, the Marys and Elizabeths of this world. If he can use them, he can certainly use you. Thirdly, find your Elizabeth. In God's kindness, he provided an older woman who was also pregnant to be a safe place for Mary, and that was obviously Elizabeth. Mary went and stayed with her for, we think, about three months. She was someone that Mary could talk openly with. She was someone who understood to a certain extent what Mary was going through. Um, As mentioned earlier, she was this prophetic voice in the life of Mary. She confirmed prophetically what the call of God was on her life. She was a voice of encouragement, 
And I was thinking it would have been really easy for there to be a comparison issue between these two. Elizabeth, she'd waited years and years for this miracle baby. And then Mary comes along, teenage Mary comes along, and is suddenly pregnant with her own miracle baby that she hadn't been waiting for, she hadn't been longing for, it wasn't planned. And we know that Elizabeth was fully aware that Mary's baby was more significant than hers, but there was no sign of jealousy or comparison. Instead, we see genuine happiness. The Bible says Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed, God has blessed you. So I want to ask, who is your safe place person who you can say anything to? Who will be that prophetic voice um, in your life who will confirm the call of God on your life? Who will be that voice of encouragement? Maybe today you could pray about that and ask God to reveal someone who will be maybe a spiritual director or an accountability partner or a mentor, someone who can be your Elizabeth. So as I come to a close this morning, I want to leave us with an encouragement from Elizabeth herself. Elizabeth told Mary, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. That Greek word in that passage that we translate as blessed is makaria, and it means happy, supremely blessed, fortunate, well off. There is no promise anywhere that everything is going to be great for us in life. There's no promise that everything's going to be easy. But there is a sign here that happiness and blessing, um, they're accessible when we come and we say that we believe what God has promised to us. So to finish, what has God promised to you? Well, in his book, All the Promises of the Bible, the author Herbert Locklear found 7,147 promises from God to human beings. So I'm not going to tell you them all. Um, but here are a few. Um, these are promises from God to you. And God always fulfills his promises. He will always love you unconditionally. No condition to that. Always. He will never leave you. He will always be with you. He designed you with a purpose, and he has a plan for your life. He will strengthen and help you. He promises rest to the weary and burdened. He promises his Holy Spirit to those who love him. He promises fruitfulness to those who abide in him, those who remain in him. He promises life everlasting to those who believe in him. That inclusive, perfect world that um, I spoke about earlier that Micah prophesied about where Jesus reigns and he's obeyed and peace is there and wholeness and rest and no sin, no sickness, no suffering. He promises that to you. And most importantly, he promises relationship with himself and forgiveness of sins to those who choose to follow him. He promises those things. So with all of that in mind, Let's choose today to be people of faith like Mary. I believe it's a choice to believe, um, and it's also a gift. And just like many, maybe many of you guys have got kids who right now are asking for really specific gifts for Christmas, we can ask our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Dad, for the gifts we'd like to receive from Him, and He loves when we do that. So let's ask today for the gift of faith, and also let's choose to be people who believe that the Lord will do what he said. And then we'll be blessed. Amen.